Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code. A lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. And so everybody there knows really what's going on, but they were also listening to the other thing. It was a very weird situation to be in. And so, and then I started reading the things so that I would know what other people were knowing about me. And then I just got very, I was just getting really sick. It was just like, I was just like, I'm very, I'm very sick. People are not treating me well here because of what they're reading. And that's insanity. Like the, you, you know what I mean? And it's just a complicated thing that people need to no, like to just, we have to collectively say, you know what? We don't care what people are saying online because they don't understand and their opinions don't matter. And if I can't see their face and they're not going to own up to what they're saying, they wouldn't say it to my face. Why do they get to like come into my mind and shit in there? That was Noel Wells. I'm Sam Fragoso. This is Talk Easy. Welcome to the show. Noelle Wells is a comedian, actress, and writer known for her work on Master of None, The Incredible Jessica James, and SNL. She does it all in the new film Mr. Roosevelt, a project she wrote in, stars in, and directs. It's about a struggling L.A. comedian who asks to return to her hometown of Austin when her cat dies. The only problem being is that the cat still lives with her ex-boyfriend and his new girlfriend. So we put him on fluids and he perked up quite a bit. Then he took a turn for the worst. 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 Which is it, turn for the worst? I never know. Emily 
Martin, shut up. You're like famous. Emily's got over 20 million views on YouTube. Oh my God. Honestly, it's too stupid to talk about. You have really low self-esteem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I moved from Austin about two years ago. It's my ex, I'm sorry. Is everything okay? The debut is clearly a labor of love for Noelle. It's a project that doesn't look like much else out there right now. So for the next 45 minutes, we talk about the project and all the obstacles she had to overcome to make this thing happen. The great thing about talking with Noelle is that the conversation has a tendency to joyfully go anywhere and everywhere. So we talk about her career. We talk about the recent bad behavior of older white men. We talk about the industry. We talk about women in Hollywood. We talk about the nastiness of the internet. I think we cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time, so I hope it all makes sense in the end. Now, here is Noelle Wells. So you're, so you're in love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know because it feels different than before yeah as in uh i didn't feel that much before okay so anytime you've ever liked a girl what has that felt like um it's felt fun uh-huh. it's felt good it's felt like anything when someone likes you which is that oh, okay i'm not a complete waste of space someone is validating my existence do you not think that that is a level of love i think it's something I think it's something. I love how we're starting with you interviewing me about so, this. So you're feeling a certain type of love for the first time. You're just feeling something you've never felt before. Yeah. Um, crazy. I had a friend recently tell me, she was like, you're going to have so many different types of love in your life. <laughs> and I was like, I've only ever felt one love and it's just extreme. <laughs> and for lots of types of people and things and but yeah, I can imagine maybe maybe there's like some level of me that like isn't quite, maybe I haven't done it right then. You think so? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe there's like, um, I just sort of recently have started to think that maybe my love was coming from, like it's a very genuine love, but it's so much and it's so hard that there has to be like maybe cooler currents of love that, that feel richer over time or something that I have yet to experience. Something that's more calm? Calmer. I mean... But that's that's part of the fun, is it not being calm? Right. I just, yeah, love just feels like... Um, I mean, I guess there's like caring love, love love, friend love, mm-hmm. dog love, cat love. But I'm glad you're in love. That's great. It's It's not bad. I mean, the movie that you made seems to be about cat love. Sort of. Sort of. It has, it's, um, to quote Father John Misty, which I don't know why I just said that. It's, this, this lyric's always in my, um. I'm surprised you're starting a sentence with that. Well, the song's always in my head. He's, he, it's basically like the lyric, I think is something like dreamt of like a passionate obligation mm. to a roommate specifically. But I think about the love, you know, Cat love is like, you know, it's a it's an unconditional sort of love and something that, you know, you're supposed to care for. And you get in a sort of naive time time of your life. 
mm-hmm. and you might take for granted. But anyway, yeah, so that's what the movie's about. The movie's about, you know, you do, you fall in love, like young love, like love to the boyfriend in the movie. She, she falls in love with this guy she, when she was in college and she sort of took that for granted. And then she has this cat that's a, this like sort of proxy for like an innocence that she, you know, she was in charge of. And mm-hmm. because she was so self-centered and self-absorbed, she let it go and then now never has a chance to, you know, say goodbye to it. Now the film takes place in Austin. Yes. That's where you spend, that's where you went to school. I went to college there for five years. Right. And I'm from Texas. So this is, I mean, we've talked about some of this in the past, but it's fairly autobiographical a little bit. No, I wouldn't say that at all. Um, I really, my, I think as a writer, it's easier for me to write from, from sort of experiences or people I've interacted with or take like little vignettes of dialogue that I've had or draw from a personal experience. But, um, the movie's completely fictionalized. I just wanted to have like tell write a funny movie with this mm-hmm. character specifically. Like it was supposed to be a character movie. You know what it reminded me of? Um, we went to that museum and it was the exhibit where your friend had a piece in it. The Museum of Broken Relationships. Yes. <laughs> this movie, like the cat yeah. is your that would be your submission for that. Yeah, like a little cat collar. Yeah. Just be like, yeah. So for that museum, the premise is that people have been dumped or like the romantic. Sure. So I guess it would be for Eric in the movie. It'd be for Eric. Yeah. Right. So did that, that didn't come out of like, uh, did you have a cat? I do. I have a cat. His name is Mr. Feeney. Okay. I did have a boyfriend when I was in college. He was a musician. Mm-hmm. And when I moved to LA, I left my cat with him, always thinking like, oh, I'll, I'll get on my feet and bring him out there. Um, then I broke up with him on the phone, fo- my boyfriend on the phone. Right before he was going to move out with me. And then, I don't know, like a couple months later. How did that go? It wasn't nice. Like, I think that half the movie is like sort of really genuinely processing the guilt of it, even though the way that it plays out in the movie is just totally fictionalized. Mm -hmm. But I think it was just, you know, I, I was following my ambitions and I was just like really just focused on doing okay like you know when you're struggling you're just struggling like you're an adolescent and you're trying to live in a place and you can't really like you can barely even take care of yourself you can't take care of a relationship either i know this feeling well yeah so (laughs) um uh so yeah that's what that was kind of and then i broke up with him on the phone just it was like a and it was actually and because i think i was just um so mature and not capable of dealing with confrontation and i didn't really think he cared about me or something like I didn't imagine that somebody could care about me Mm. so I just was like I don't think this is working out but I dated him for two and a half years and then what happened was my he called me and he was like Mr. Feeney's not doing well something's wrong and then he called me that day and then the next day he's like I'm gonna take him to the vet and then he took him to the emergency vet and the emergency vet's like he has a tumor and he's gonna die so I like flew back to Austin and when I was there I saw how he was like still like being broken up with essentially still going through the heartbreak. And he was like really thin and like, just like a shell of himself. Mm. And I hadn't, I couldn't, I never imagined that I could have that impact on somebody. And not only that, like I thought my cat was going to die, but then turns out he, he actually just had his, like his organs had slipped through. I don't forget, I forget what that's called, but it's basically that he just like had to tear in his organ and it like got trapped in his lungs. Uh, his organs, his like stomach and stuff got trapped in his lung cavity and they just had to take it out. And then he was, he, he got better eventually and I brought him here. Mm. 
God, that's yeah. a lot. It was a lot. It was yeah. a lot. And even it took like a couple of years to like even like be like, wow, I was a, I sucked, but I didn't know that I sucked. <laughs> and like. So, so you started sucking when? In, in, in the beginning of college? <laughs> no, I don't think I, I think I probably just sucked when I broke up with somebody that like cared about me and didn't really. But I think we both had like issues communicating because I didn't know mm. he I didn't know that he was upset. Like, no point did he, like, call me and say, why? I want to make this work. Like, we just, you know. like He just, bottled it in? Yes. And then when I saw him, I was just like, oh, my God, why haven't you been talking to me? Like, I had no idea. Like, and it was just really, it was really. That's a lot. It was a lot. I was just like, I, I can't believe, like, you you would you would feel, let yourself feel this way without, like, expressing it to me. I right. think now we're both much healthier people. And he's engaged, and he's a wonderful fiance, and we're all friends, and it's great. Mm. Is part of the film also about you working through your feelings about Austin? Yeah, I I mean I think that that film would have would take place next. <laughs> <laughs> because um I think I've kind of been struggling with this like a little bit, but there's parts of me that I never really felt like I belonged in Austin or like I was on the outside of something that that was happening that I didn't that I, I was never like in on and a lot of that was because I was like a geeky college kid and I worked all the time and I didn't really have I didn't have like a lot of spare time to like enjoy the city like the way that my other friends had and there was like part of me that was like but I did I did have moments like what happened in the film and there are people like the Jin character um you know is based on this girl that I knew Jen who was that person, was just like this magical person in Austin who would, who if she saw anybody, she would take them around and like had like the biggest heart in the world. Mm. And so she, you know, her name is Jennifer Cruz. She passed away a couple of years ago. But um, so it's like pieces of Austin. But I think a lot of what I made this movie for was like being like, I love this city and I want it to love me too. <laughs> and <laughs> and I want to give jobs to people and like help people that I've always admired, like be able to do things, you know, that they're good at. Mm. Um, it's a little bit more, ends up being a little bit more complicated than that. But for the most part, it's been positive. It got more complicated. It's gotten complicated. Okay. Yeah. You know, I think the the, the thing you mentioned is like in college, you even felt that you were geeky and you like worked really hard and you didn't you didn't have as much of a social life yeah i don't know if you remember this but one of the first times i like re-talked away from this podcast you told me about like how hard you've worked you mm -hmm. told me about, like how much time you've put into your art and you working and creating and i remember just being so impressed by it and and i admired you so much for that Thanks. I think that's like the dirty secret of anything is like <laughs> if you see somebody who's doing well, either they literally grew up having the opportunity to just get really good at something for a long time or somebody has to just like sacrifice something of mm -hmm. themselves to get to that point. And so now I guess the thing that I'm sort of struggling with, like as my profile is getting a little bit bigger or people see that I've accomplished this, they think I just got handed it or, you know, like that I got picked and I just want to be like, no, no, I did not get picked. Nobody picked me, dude. I made this happen. Like, 
everything that you're seeing is something that I made happen. I'm a try hard. <laughs> um, you can be annoyed with that if you want to. You can admire it. You can think I suck. I don't care, but like, you can't think that this is anything but, you know, a sheer force of just one tornado of a mess of a human trying to like be like, <laughs> like, like me and appreciate me. I like that you called yourself a try hard. Yeah, I, I think I am. <laughs> well, and also there are people who um, are tryhards, but they are f- afraid to admit that. Oh <laughs> no, I'm working. I'm like been diagnosing it. I'm like, oh, if I want to be like cooler, I should probably like maybe like not try so hard. Like I think a lot of my frustration is that I'm just like, mm, I'm trying so hard, but it's not working. <laughs> and then I was like, well, maybe if I just stopped trying so hard, it wouldn't be so stressful. In the lead up to making this, was there a lot? Of attempts of you trying and it not working out? Um, actually, no. It's all all of the film. This particular project actually was just like creative obstacles inside. And so, as much as a tryhard as I am, I've like been suffering from since college and maybe all my life. But maybe it's just come to a head like really horrible anxiety, crippling anxiety, where I can't do things for long periods of time, or like, or I can I can work in some aspects, but the things I really want to do, like I can't do them and like I'm kind of like trapped in my mind and then I like go insane so the hardest part of it was just like getting like getting out of my own way and just doing it Mm. and that was a very complicated process that took like kind of like years of like self-help and starting to eat well and like exercising and uh doing like meditations to get to the point where I got out of my way enough to be able to do this movie and then all the other little things and that led up to that what have you found that works there's no easy thing I found that I learned how I write well or like I learned how to write where it doesn't feel so contrived or manufactured where I talk the characters out loud. Like if I'm trying to figure out how a character is going to be written, I just like sort of channel the person and then I like riff on it. Mm -hmm. That specifically. But a lot of it is just uh, I send notes to myself all day long and then every once in a while I like gather all the notes and print them all up. And I spend like a couple days organizing all of it and then I won't touch it for weeks because then I get too crippled. And then, you know, it's just like right. a lot of that. And then, and then I'll do that again. And there again, are notes again. on your phone? Uh, notes everywhere. That's the thing that I'm so, I'm so disorganized. But no, that, that's notes kind of on my great phone. though. Notes on my phone. I send emails. I'll like, sometimes um, I still write with my other ex-boyfriends. So sometimes if I'm like, I need somebody to take notes from me or send me something like if I'm driving. I'm like, hey, I just, could you email this to me right now? And like, I'll just like say all the things that I'm thinking. But then I don't do the like hard work of, uh, I don't do like the shit work of like, and all right, today at 8 a.m. I'm going to wake up and have a coffee and then <sighs> organize all my notes. And that's where I would really like to be because I have so many ideas. I just need to get them out. Who does that though? I don't know. Either incredibly neurotic people or people have absolutely no neuroses. <laughs> <laughs> it's either yeah, one yeah. or the other. <laughs> I think productivity is the thing we're all trying to figure out on a daily basis. Yeah, I think I've tried to think about it from the point of view of instead of worrying about getting a lot of work done, how can I just be use my time wisely? Mm. And that's a way to take the pressure off of you and also just to be like, well it's not wise to use your time hitting refresh on Twitter all day long. So that has to get out of your life. So how do you get that out of your life? Uh, so you're doing process of elimination. Yeah. It's like, well, how do you get that out of your life? Try not to do it. Oh, that's not working. Okay. Maybe go to <laughs> hypnotherapy. Okay. That's not working. Create like a series of elaborate obstacles to keep you from logging on 
send your friends your passwords. Like, I, I, that's not working. Okay, no, I'll just get your shit together and go to the desert and write where there's no Wi-Fi. You do do that. Yeah, I do do that. Yeah, that seems to work. It does, and I really like it. I think it feels very calm to be out there, and I can, like, I think I can hear too much in a city. All right, like, I can't, too many inputs are happening. And mm. so my mind is just, like, being dragged in all these directions. When you're in the desert, it's just like, oh, is that, what's that? Oh, that's my own thought. Mm. I always think about how, you know, just like in the 20s or 30s, if like a Fitzgerald was writing or Hemingway and all these people, I don't think they ever thought about productivity as a concept. They never thought like, oh, I need to get X amount done today. And I think there's something we've done probably with social media, but like we've made productivity an objective when the objective should be the objective, it should be like the thing you want to do, not to be productive, but to make the thing. It's a really big frustration I have about all creative fields is that the objective, the objective is weird. <laughs> it's the objective is like a quantity. I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. Are you saying like it can't be measured? No, I think the way that people have value it now, it's like valued in a strange way. Uh -huh. And then that puts weird pressure on people when they used to maybe do things for the love of it or the impulse or the, the I don't know. For the love of it seems to be gone in a lot of ways. Yeah. Not for everyone and not and for I everything. Maybe we have too much history or something or too much like compacted history or like too much like too much flowering. And now, I mean, I, I've, I feel like I was just born into this world where everything is being judged by like something that happened even like five years ago or 10 years ago or 50 years ago or sometimes even like 100 years ago where you're like, at a certain point, I don't, like in human history, that would have just fallen away and like we could have just, we, we, you just reinvent things over mm. and over again. Like we don't have, we didn't have like this archive when people were like creating things, they were just doing it, not thinking like, yeah. did somebody else do this well, like we, in New York? We had the archive. It just wasn't readily available. Yeah. And then that way people, and that's why people are like, oh, the same story, like all stories are basically the same, but they're different when they're like funneled through people. And now everybody like looks at things like, I don't know, in reference to like every like everything's mm -hmm. like a referential sort of thing and it drives me fucking bananas. Can I tell you what's going to drive you crazy? Is you're going to make a reference about my movie? Yes. Okay, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying it as your friend and with love. Okay. The opening scene completely reminded me of the opening scene of Annie Hall. Oh, I was like I was thought you were going to say La La Land and I was like, dude, I'm going to punch you. Cuz it's the opening scene or I think the opening scene is like an audition. Oh, oh yeah, no. Um yeah, somebody wrote somebody wrote like a review and was like clearly Noel Wells is a fan of Annie Hall and like took her inspiration from it and I mean, it's I think it's a fucking perfect movie. So I I think it's a great My thing. movie? No, just kidding. Exactly. You got <laughs> um, it. Um no, if I was going to do I mean, I think because it was like a direct to camera address like perhaps or you know and like sort of referencing something yeah um it was more of like the color palette and also the way you use the wall in the background that's like i don't know what color you used but yeah it's like the turquoise well it's a, yeah. it was an audition setting and it's i want great. i wanted to i there was a part of me that wanted it to feel like the beginning of the movie you didn't i mean i guess it is this way i mean i didn't pull it off quite the way that i imagine it but i wanted it to be like you think it is like a scene reminiscent of something like that. Like she'd be talking to a therapist or like right. something like that. And then it's just, she's blathering on at an audition uh -huh. and nobody wants to hear it. They're not interested. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had like a very particular goal and I'm not sure like exactly. 
I think you mostly get it. Okay, good. Yeah, good. I think you mostly get it. So in my head, it was never like, I'm going to do Annie Hall, but it was like, you know, in my bones of like, this is a thing that people do in movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's a question I've, I've never actually asked you before. What was like the worst audition you've had? I've had a... Um, was it like a funny one or was there a tragic one? Any Anything? I... There's a funny one that I had. It was the second audition I ever had when I was in LA and it was a commercial audition and it was for Hebrew Frank, Hebrew National Franks. Oh, the hot dogs. The hot dogs. Love those. And they were like, we're looking for an all-American girl. She got to eat beef. <laughs> and I don't <laughs> eat beef, but I was like, I'm all-American. I want money. <laughs> like, So I'm already doing something I like kind of am against. <laughs> I also like auditioning for commercials always like really bummed me out. So, but I was like, you know, we got to do it. You're, you got to like, you got to figure out a way to buffer your art or whatever. So I showed up to the audition just being like, I'm all American. Whatever. That they, uh, Did they ask you if you ate meat? Yeah, you have to say you do. And I don't, I don't eat beef. I don't eat beef or pork. So I was just going to, I was just like, yep, I'll do it. Sure. <laughs> um, which I was already just like a lie. And then, then they, um, they don't make you like eat meat for the audition, but they give you like a hot dog bun. Mm-hmm. And, they're like, take a bite out of this and like just chew it. And that was the audition. And already I'm like, oh, this feels real bad. <laughs> like this just feels like you don't want to hear me talk. Like you don't want to hear my thoughts on like <laughs> the Middle East. Come they on. They don't want your Middle East thoughts. No. Uh, so I was like, so what is this? Like, what are you shooting? They're like, just like an extreme close up of your face eating. And a like, bun. Look, look like in a bun. And I was like, look like you're enjoying it. And I'm like, how do I look like I'm enjoying? I don't know. It was just like the worst. So I took a big bite. It was way too big. It was really hard to eat it. And I'm just like chewing it and there was nothing in it. So I'm just like eating just like a giant thing of wet bread. And at the end of the audition, they were like, okay, you can spit the bread out. This is where it was the worst audition and also very funny. I went to the trash can and the trash can just filled with half chewed like hot dog buns from like all the girls and their dreams That's just spit like, it in, out. The, in the trash can. And I looked at it and I was like, oh my God. And then I turned to the camera operator and I was like, well, that was degrading. And then as I was leaving, he just said, like, I've been watching it all day. <laughs> Welcome to Hollywood. Hollywood, baby. Oh, yeah. God. At what point did it get a little bit easier than that? When I started not caring at all and started to be like, okay, well, this is a chance for me to have fun. <laughs> and I'm driving to Santa Monica at 6 p.m. rush hour traffic. Isn't that funny? <laughs> like, <laughs> and then um, it started getting a little bit easier. You started making that scenario funny. Yeah, that's how I can get through anything in my life. If I can make it somewhat humorous, it keeps it from being like this crushing burden. That's my zen, I guess. It's just being mm-hmm. like, oh, isn't this funny? It's interesting because you're doing, it's, it's two things. It's your attitude, which is being a tryhard and not caring at all. Mm-hmm. Those are hard to like coexist. Yeah, but I try really hard to, about not caring. No, <laughs> yeah. Well, I can think. I think getting to that zen sort of place. That's or, a good joke. <laughs> um, getting to that sort of a zinner place uh, has allowed me to see how difficult I make it for myself, mm. and like how much easier life is if you're just sort of ambivalent to what's going on. Right. That is, I think, literally what zen is is whatever's happening to you, you observe it from a place of interest and curiosity and try not to hook into it with your emotions. And that was happening for a while on social media, right? In what sense? For you, weren't you finding that it was being, it was becoming a toxic place? Social media is horrible. Yes. 
I think it's pretty terrible. I think people have. Um, I like that sentence. Social media is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like it because I agree with it. I, I've been saying this for years and everybody's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I just think that it's making people angry at each other and it's toxic. And it also only shows you a certain side of a person and nobody's interested in like hearing each other. And I guess with Trump getting elected, I think now people are finally seeing it for what like truly what it is because now everybody's sick where – I don't know. I was being, when I was on SNL, it was very, it was this really weird thing where I was like, I'm not going to look at anything online. And then I started realizing everybody there was reading everything online, including comments, including comments about other people. And so then I was like, oh, what people are saying about me online, these people are listening to, even though I know how stupid it is, but it actually started impacting me there. Like if people were being mean to me online, like people would be like, you know what I'm trying to say? It like created this weird group thing. And I was like, you know, these people live, like they don't know anything about what's going on here. We're all in this together. If we just ignored it, we'd be better off. Like we'd be able to like create like a bubble around ourselves, but I played into it. And so, uh, by and the, so, that, so you're saying cast members on SNL bought into it. Cast members and writers. And like, it was very like fickle with what they want. And that was, I think at just like the apex of like the vitriol that SNL was getting that year. Like it was just like kind of really just like, um, a flashpoint and and I it started out where people weren't being really particularly mean but then they, they like they like people I guess because there's so much content to create for the internet and everybody wants to have like their relevant angle on something and so people figured out ways to like quantify how people were doing on the show and so they would do it by like screen time or lines or like uh you know and then like keep pie charts and not knowing like well what happens behind the scenes or like you know, they weren't there at the table read where that sketch got big laughs, but they couldn't put it in that week for whatever reason. Or, you know, like, so they have, there's like no bigger picture of it. But, and so everybody there knows really what's going on, but they were also listening to the other thing. It was a very weird situation to be in. And so, and then I started reading the things so that I would know what other people were knowing about right, me. Right, so you're trying to keep up. Yeah, and then I just got very, I was just getting really sick. It was just like, I was just like, I'm very, I'm very sick. People are not treating me well here because of what they're reading and that's insanity like the you, you know what I mean mm -hmm. and it's just a complicated thing that people need to know like to just we have to collectively say you know what we don't care what people are saying online because they don't understand and their opinions don't matter and if I can't see their face and they're not going to own up to what they're saying they wouldn't say it to my face why do they get to like come into my mind and shit in there <laughs> I like that yeah but I is there a party that also thinks like we're too far in. No, I no. You think, I, you think we can get rid of it? I I've said for years. I think that people should take comment sections away from, like away from things that are supposed to be taken seriously. And I've seen a lot of websites do that. And I and it's I think very helpful. Like oh yeah. I think it's just then it's like oh now you get to just operate and like your vision of what your site can be will you know can operate and you can say you're not great to begin with or you're struggling or something, you can give your spaces, you can give yourself the room to get better and then like now you're a place that people go and look at. Like that's just how anything works. Mm. So I think that's been happening. I think the more we talk about it, I think the more people will start being like, yeah, wait a second, I don't like myself and the whole world's falling down and like, <laughs> I just, everything, I'm just, I can't even leave my house and you know. It's tough I think in part because there are a handful of people and maybe more who feel like they benefit 
from social media and some of them who I think you can break down economically who are benefiting from it. I think there is what part of the problem of the internet is there's no defined morality and like a, um, there's no insistence of insistence of decency, like a baseline decency where we decide we're not going to put up with something. Mm. I think that was what was so problematic about the SNL things. It's like if we had all just agreed that we weren't going to look at any of that stuff, that's like a baseline decency to each other. And that, like, that's like just, you're creating like a, a safer space essentially. Mm. So yeah, people do benefit from the internet. I would venture to say some people benefit from social media because it's so toxic. And then that's the true reason why we're here in the state is because uh, negativity sells and extremes sell and algorithms force, like they literally, people are creating ways to get us more addicted and they're creating ways to get us more enraged and inflamed because that makes us click ads and that mm. makes that sends us into spirals and it makes somebody money. It's also coinciding right now, given the last two months, three, four months of, God, how else do I put it? Uh, the bad behavior of older white men. Um, that has been, I think, justifiably a, a source of anger for a lot of people. And I do think social media has helped people talk about it in some way. I don't know if the conversation's always fair or, or nuanced or accurate, but I think people do find comfort in like being able to share rage about this. I think being able to find people that can embolden you if you are in the right or have an experience that needs to be validated is like invaluable. So Doubt the internet will go away and hopefully there will always be that opportunity for you to be able to find people. And being able to see how you're not alone allows you to process your own experiences. But then it just keeps happening. Then it just goes further and further mm -hmm. and further. And it's like, well, the tipping point becomes like the degree of what we are deciding to drag people through the mud for it becomes, you know, the bar gets lowered. The bar's lowered. The bar gets lowered and ethics start getting blurred. And, you know, I... I've, you know, you read these articles and like <laughs> some of these articles that are getting published about some people, even though the allegations might be true, like half of the article is just like sort of like n some of the things are getting conflated. It's like one's like a sexual assault and one's like he was weird to me once at a party. And it's like, OK, well, people are perverts slash versus like somebody raping you. We have to those are different things and mm -hmm. people have bad behavior and you, you should correct it. You can't conflate that necessarily, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I feel like perhaps I have stories that have happened to me in Hollywood that these experiences have, like, brought up in me and have made me be like, okay, I wasn't crazy. I saw what happened. But I'm not going to be like, now I'm going to call the Hollywood Reporter and give them my information because I'm, while bad things, like, sort of happen, there are degrees of them. and. Yeah. I, degrees of bad. There's degrees of bad. And there's also degrees of like, just it's important to just be able to recognize when people are sleazy and mistreating you mm -hmm. and get away and warn people about it. And it's more important that we don't allow atmospheres where that behavior like breeds. I don't know. I don't know how else to say that. The conversation's tough because it's, it's like no one wants to interact and take part of a society where people are sleazy. But like there is a distinction between someone who's sleazy 
and uh, makes people uncomfortable versus like sexual assault. There is a, they're not the same. They're not the same. They're both not they're, good. They're, you know, usually, I mean, there's a lot of times if there's smoke, there's fire. Mm. But harassing comments isn't the same as trapping somebody in a room and jerking off in front of them. You know what I mean? Neither one is okay. Right. And I think that that's like why they're like HR departments and like why are they failing to listen to people when somebody's being disparaging? And I think even the bigger thing that is like I'm learning is why can't people hear it while it's happening? I think people don't even have the capacity to see the behavior or hear it because it's not happening to them. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that all this is making me realize is like all those times that I've tried to talk to people about the bad things that have happened to me and they didn't listen they were not capable of even understanding what was going on. Because I think they understood that since time immemorial, it was suppressed. That information would not be pushed to the top and it wouldn't become public. That's how these people continued doing this because they would hear it and be like, oh, that sounds terrible, but that will never be on the New York Times front page. Or just being like, or like, oh, but what did, you know, like that's, yeah, that kind of stuff happens and like, you you know, you're naive. Or that just happens. That yes. happens and you need to learn how to like protect yourself. And right. It's always like, my favorite thing is like when people get harassed or like attacked, like women and people are like, you need to take a Kung Fu class. And I'm like, well, maybe people <laughs> should stop attacking women. I don't know. <laughs> also, I don't know how much Kung Fu is going to help. No, not just as much as a gun's going to help you when there's a mass shooter. You know, like it's just not going to help you. It's not going to help. <laughs> no, we need to figure out why the like what is causing these behaviors. And mm. and it's and here the truth of it is it's not OK to attack women anymore physically. And it's not okay to rape women physically. So those behaviors, the patterns are still inculcated in men's minds. Right. The ownership, the domination, the power dynamic, that's all, the patterns are still there and have not been worked out, but they've just retreated to the recesses and they come out in like more subversive ways. Mm. It seems like companies are doing a sweep of, <laughs> of people. Anyone, they're like, they're questioning, like, look, if there's anything that could be construed, just leave now, we'll give you a severance package. Go away, go. go to therapy. I think um, I saw a tweet. Somebody was like, well, we shouldn't be doing some. It was like an article that was like, you know, you shouldn't just be uh, firing everybody that's ever been accused of sexual harassment. It's not going to change anything. And somebody was like, well, we could at least uh, start there and try like, yeah. and see if it changes. I, the tweet was much funnier, but um, which I thought was a fair point. You know, I have similar reservations being like, I mean, is that going to make men change if they're just living in fear mm -hmm. of being persecuted? If anything, that's just going to make them more defensive. And so I guess we all have our ways of dealing with things. If businesses want to play safe and keep their PR, you know. But Which that's, is what they're going to do. Yeah, they're just saving face. I don't know if it's necessarily going to address why men think women can be domineered or mm. that they're just utility to their existence. I think that this is what I've been learned or I've been like, the consciousness in me has been raising to the point where I'm like my entire life, my whole identity and my whole worth has been determined by men. And I've been wondering why I'm so sick and sad all the time and why nobody sees me or hears me and why I'm doing all these things of value. And it's just like, literally it's the thing like people can't even possibly hear it because that's not who signals what's important. It's men who signal what's important mm. and they get to decide and they are the ones that have the knowledge and they're the ones that have the expertise and the experience, even though that's not true, but it's all filtered through that paradigm. So uh, yeah, the, that behavior just has to, you, I just, you just have to talk to every man in your life and be like, Hey, 
you can't hear me. You're not hearing me. I'm not your mom. I'm not trying to get you in trouble. I'm a person. I have feelings. Like, I just want to be valued like you. Why don't you see me as an equal? What can I do to make you shift your perspective to see me? And maybe that is cutting those people out of your life and then they learn a painful lesson about uh, value and uh, love. Uh, Maybe that's the thing. Or maybe guys will start being like, okay, maybe I don't understand and maybe I should listen for once. You think people don't hear and see you? No, I think that that's part of what I'm realizing. What I'm realizing is they just couldn't, they just, because I don't think people are bad. I don't think people are actively, purposely covering up things that they think are bad. They just didn't have a any con- concept of what, how that was bad. Mm. They don't see how it's happening and they don't understand it. It's like, I, I think I have a, one of my abilities as a human is I can tell the truth of what people are saying and I can feel their motives from really far away. And not a many people have that. And so, but you can, but once a night a pattern or a behavior gets identified and enough, you point it out enough, enough people can be like, oh yeah, that's a thing that people do. And then people can start seeing it and understanding it. Mm. Why do you think you're so good at that? I think it's, I think a lot of women are, and that's what makes us like witchy and weird. You know, it's like, we know things that we couldn't possibly know. It's like, actually, we're just like observing. It's just like kind of like a, I think men are very focused. Like they're very detail oriented. They're very task oriented. So they're very good at like focusing, which is great. That's a, that's like a evolutionary skill. Women as like to keep protected and to, to take care of everybody have had to like kind of create like an all knowing like sort of omnipotent sort of way of looking at reality as a whole. So when you look at reality as a whole, you see more dynamics emerge between people and you can sort of, one of the things I've learned though is that most of the dynamics from people are incredibly unconscious and they don't know what's going on. That's where personal frustration lies. I'm like, why is that person doing that to me? Like, that's so evil. And it's like, they don't know they're doing it. It's operating somewhere underneath them. Mm. And that's what's going on with men is it's, you don't, not you particularly, but I'll let you know when you do it or what you do. But um, you give me a call. I'll give you a call. Be like, Sam, you didn't know you were doing this, but you're doing this. Yeah. It's like, uh, I actually was going to ask you, do you think I hear and see you? I think for the most part, but for like, like as a, like anybody, you're never going to completely male or female, like completely hear, see me. And that's just the way life is. But I do think you're receptive and you hear me and you listen and you're curious. You're the different, you're curious. You're a curious person. Curious Sam. If anything, I just talk at you all the time and you just put up with it, which I appreciate it, which is why we are still friends. (laughs) That I uh, put up with it. That's why we're friends. Or, um, or that you find it interesting. I don't know. I think there's a mutual exchange. I mean, I, I talk at you when I'm upset every now and then. Right. I'm but, just upset more. Yes. <laughs> You're upset more, but also um, you've lived more life than I have. That's true. You're you're small. You're s- small in age, big in heart and courage and, you know, you get a lot done. You're a hard worker, too. Yeah. We're both yeah. tryhards a little bit. Um, You play a lot cooler. I mean, that's just public appearance. Okay. Well, that's fair. Yeah. I think <laughs> it's it's not like that. <laughs> what do you want? In the next few years, um, I've now, I, my my goals are really. I just want to get out of my. I just part of making this movie has really helped me see like all the things that are holding me back and why I've felt so bad about myself for a long time, 
and why I've been frustrated and felt like I haven't been seen or heard. And because literally I wasn't. Just knowing that in and of itself is like kind of reassuring. And then now that I know that, I'm like, okay, well, that sucks, but I want to do my work. Like, so, and I want to do it for me and not for anybody else. My goals are to do that when I have a whole entire movie in my head, which I do right now, instead of spending all day just being like, why can't I write it? Just be like, well, I write it and we go make it. And it's, we do this and this is what adults and professionals do. I like to do that. The other thing I would like in my life is to be valued just like as a per, like I want, I want like to have people around me that value me and hear me and are on my side. That's like a new thing that just keeps ringing in my head is like, I need people that are on my side that aren't competitive with me, that want the best for me, that cherish me. I guess it's like, I just need people that like love me. Mm. And that's like my new goal in life is just surrounding myself with people that genuinely love me and uh, you know, want the best. Yeah. What do you want? Love, more love? I want love too. <laughs> I want that special kind of love that you're feeling. Um, I like the thing you said about people on your side. Yeah. Someone I know has been telling me that recently. It's like we're all... That phrasing though is like, on your side. Yeah, I feel like I've just been sort of like this thing that's just had to take care of itself for such a long time. And it's like if I had needs, nobody helped me. And if things were happening to me, nobody would believe it or they thought, you know what I mean? And mm. I just want, not that I want people that are blindly on my side, but just like a team of people that are rooting for me. I guess I've just not had that. Yeah. And I feel like, um, I feel like the, to me, I'm like imagining like what's my favorite creators and my favorite teams. They're, they're, they work with each other. They care about each other. They're on each other's side. Like that's what I want. Yeah. I don't know why that's so hard. I think it's very American. It's a very domineering culture that puts people one on top of the other. It's power or hierarchy. And so when you're stacking people, you can't be on each other's side when you're wanting to get on top of somebody mm. I, I have to be honest when you said it's very american i just thought about the hebrew national <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that was also very american just forcing me to do things i don't i, I forcing me to do things i don't do for money um but also <laughs> agreeing to do it such an american thing i got what i deserved <laughs> <laughs> well you got here and you made your movie i did and it's out mm -hmm. and i think there's there's progress that's been made yeah even in this conversation. I mean, I hope I hope a little bit. Like 1%. If you do 1% every day, imagine how much uh, change you can make in a year. That was almost like an uh, inspirational quote. No, I literally read this book called The 1% Advantage. Uh, that, w that was the whole premise of the book. It was? Yeah. Do you feel better about your life now than you did a year ago? Yes and no. <laughs> uh, I feel like a lot more things are just exposed. And so there's like a level of helplessness that I feel about like, okay, now I'm seeing things for how they are, but where do I go from here? Mm. So not really having a direction. I feel unmoored, but I feel much more in alignment with myself, which is good. Yeah. Well, you're going to make more and you're going to be, Thanks. you're going to be fine. <laughs> And more bad shit's going to happen. I, sh I know. But more great stuff's going to happen, too. Yeah. It's just uh, that's the zen of it. You got to just let it happen. Yeah. And if anything else, you can just uh, you call if you need anything. 
cool. Or I just like, can we do a podcast? We'll do another podcast. <laughs> uh, you're the second person to come on twice. Who was the f- other person? Uh, Kamal Bell. Oh, nice. Yes. So uh, you get some sort of award. I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't either. I don't want awards. Okay. I mean, I do want awards because it's <laughs> it's important to other people, but I just appreciate that we're on each other's team. On the same side. Yeah. Noel Wells, thanks so much. Thank you, Sam. directorial debut titled Mr. Roosevelt is now out in limited release. It will expand across the country and appear on Netflix in the coming months. If you'd like to find out more about Noelle, be sure to visit our website at www.talkeasypod.com. Our show is executive produced by David Chen, graphics by Ian Jones, illustrations by Krishna Shenoy, social media by Max Ship. Our associate producer is Valerie Ettenhofer, and the show is produced by Dylan Peck. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. See you next week. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 